Hello, and welcome to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. My name is Emily Goodwin. I'm a pediatrician in complex care at the Beacon Program at Children's Mercy Kansas City and your host for this episode. In this podcast series, we seek to discuss emerging evidence in the care of children with medical complexity and its implications for practice. I am delighted to have Katherine Diskin and Kate Robinson joining me today. Katherine is a pediatrician in complex care from the Hospital for Sick Children, known as Sick Kids in Toronto. Kate has an MFA and runs Fox Serving Pie Productions and is the mother of two children, one who is medically complex. Katherine and Kate are the lead authors of the article, Family Partnership in Continuing Medical Education, a Collaborative Experience, published online in Pediatrics in May 2023. Katherine and Kate, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here this morning. In your article, you shared key learnings from developing a continuing education series called Collaborative Conversations with Families to Advance the Clinical Care of Children with Medical Complexities and Disabilities, or C6. Can you tell us a little bit about how this all started? What led to this initiative? This is Catherine speaking. Like Emily mentioned at the outset, I'm a pediatrician in sick kids. And a couple of years ago, myself and some of my colleagues at SickKids and, and across North America, we undertook a study to try and understand, you know, if we were to do research or when we were to do research focused on children with medical complexity, including those with neurological impairment, what should be our priorities? And we were able to, by consensus involving families and clinicians, come up with what those topics should be. And then from there, we had a conversation amongst ourselves with um, shout outs to Rishi Agarwal, in Chicago and A.L. Cohn here in Toronto saying, what should be our next steps? Where should we go next? And there was kind of two points. One was there needed to be a conversation about these topics within the complex care community. And the second is, is that we needed to do better than we had done previously in terms of family engagement. And so we had this kind of seed of an idea that we would undertake a um, seminar series. We went looking to family voices and family leaders within family voices, which is where Kate comes in saying, we have this idea that we want to have a space for conversations around top topics for children with medical complexity and their families. And we want to hear what you have to say and are you interested in working with us? We learned as investigators the value that families bring. So for example, child mental health and behavior as topics for future research were only mentioned by families, yet everyone, clinicians and families, prioritize these as areas in need of research. And so we realized that we could do better and that hopefully by doing better, our conversation space would be better informed for everyone. And so then we went ahead and organized the seminar series, which sounds like it was no big deal, but actually took a huge amount of deliberate thought and planning. But I think throughout, we really saw how important that perspective of the families of CMC is, particularly because families of CMC are so clinically involved. I think you'd be hard pressed to find family caregivers who aren't actually doing clinical care in the home 24 hours a day, seven days a week for their kids who are medically complex. And so because the population is unique in that way, because we are so incredibly involved in actually providing care for our children, 
I think that the partnership between clinicians and families and this kind of collaborative conversation and solving problems together becomes so much more critical. So you mentioned that it sounds simple, but it's definitely not as simple as it may sound. Uh, What opportunities or challenges did you identify while developing this series? I think that Kate, myself, Kara Coleman, Al, uh, Rishi all had conversations around what this would look like and then together applied for grant funding, which we were successful from, from Lucille Packard, and we're very grateful for that. We tried very hard to build in that co-design, not just ultimate delivery, but actually wanted Kate and Kara to be involved in the meat of it. You know, as clinicians, we're really good at going into meetings and having an idea of what would come out at the end of the meeting and where we would be. And oftentimes with Kate and Cara, we would land somewhere better, but somewhere different than where we started. Kate spoke about us having honest conversations about what this would look like. How do you partner? Just to give concrete examples, we were talking about what would the seminars themselves look like? How would you involve families? Where would families be in the seminars? And then there were other very honest conversations. Okay, you're involving families in seminars. How much do they have to prepare? What does that look like? And if you're preparing families for partnership, you also have to prepare clinicians, which was kind of a new thing to many of us. We kind of presumed that we already had the skills, which actually isn't true. We had to meet for very structured, very focused meetings. We had to meet regularly with purpose. From the clinician perspective, that was probably one of the early learnings that shaped where we went. Yeah, because I, I really have to give Catherine credit and Ayal and Rishi for the iteration that you engaged in with us throughout. Because I think at the very beginning, there was a sense that we would do kind of something rather typical where we would have families come in, tell a little story, and then have the didactic portion delivered by clinicians, and then unite them on a panel to collaborate in a conversation with participants online. But I think that the tricky thing was in the beginning, really sort of uh, trying to figure out, no, how do we incorporate families in a little bit of a different way, in a way that honors what I was talking about before, just that clinical piece that when we talk about things like irritability and pain or feeding intolerance, mental health, that families are coming at it not just with a story, but with their own clinical experience of what uh, works or didn't work, and actually a perspective on some of the research sometimes. So we would do those pre-meetings with clinicians and the family members, and sometimes if we could actually get the information that the clinicians were excited to share and deliver in the hands of the family members ahead of time so that they would have a little bit of perspective. And we found those intersections between the real experiences that the families felt were important and pivotal and that the clinicians were excited about or intersected with their research. And then we really kind of focused there. So in that way, as the series evolved, it became actually much more collaborative I heard from both of you that the previous conception of involving patients and families that a lot of clinician educators recognize the value of lived experience, but I find that often clinician educators get little guidance in how to support families when inviting them, especially if they're sharing a story that may have been traumatic. I wonder if you could share a little bit about how individuals presenting or participating had access to supports if needed. 
I will say this is a great opportunity to give a shout out to the Center for Resiliency. They provide an enormous amount of resource to clinicians. They also provide those courses for parents and families. Then they do a great job focusing on families of uh, kids with chronic disease. Family Voices is also another resource that we shared as well, familyvoices.org for families to be able to get support. I think we also built in a scaffold. So for example, when families were identified as family leaders and the family leader title was chosen by families who felt it reflected their experience beyond caregiving. But from identification, they received one-to-one sessions with Kate and Hara in preparation for the session. So what does the session look like? Who's the audience shaping stories? Then there was also two pre-meets. So one was about a month out with all of the presenters. So clinicians and families met. The purpose of that meeting was to flatten known hierarchies and to introduce people to each other and also to facilitate easier conversation. It's hard to email back and forth with people that you have never met. And we found that that kind of personal, even if virtual connection between family leaders and clinicians was really important. And oftentimes then by the time the final run-through meeting, the stories from family leaders and clinicians dovetailed together. There was an immediate debrief with all presenters after each session. How did that go? How did you feel? and some of the technical pieces. And then Kate and Cara were also available for debriefs remote from the event for family leaders. One of the things we underestimated was the amount of time for preparation for family leaders in preparation for storytelling, recognizing that coming in and telling your story, but actually preparing your story to match with learning objectives for a session, being prepared for the audience. And the audience tended to be established professionals for the most part. So like recognizing that that work that family leaders were having to do. So there was both support from Kate and Cara for the concrete stuff, but also recognizing the impact of telling your story and also opportunities for debriefing. So I think, Kate, we reckoned about six hours of preparation. um, And that was something that was factored into the proposal and probably is one of the key things that I have taken away from it as a clinician educator. Yeah, because I think that that may have been sufficient if it were come in and tell a story for a few minutes of, you know, some story, and then we're going to do the didactic portion. I think where we got into the time crunch was not so much preparing family leaders, but preparing family leaders in collaboration with the clinicians and frankly, preparing the clinicians to think collaboratively or consider this experience that, you know, was being shared by the family member and how it applies to the research. And that, I have to say, I I was so heartened. I mean, this is such a thriving community. Clinicians who care about children with medical complexity and have devoted their careers. I think we had over 1,600 participants throughout the series. We had lots of family members involved as well. And I think, you know, to know that there's this enormous amount of drive and desire for expertise from everyone. And that I think one of the things that I really learned from this is that like, we're all just trying to figure it out. And these kids are so complex. Everyone is so unique in a lot of ways, and it's just hard. I just want to give a shout out to how devoted 
so many clinicians are to this population and how I feel like there is all this room to collaborate, to really share that didactic piece and some of the exciting research that's going on with the kids who are medically complex. These are such great insights. I wonder, what do you think are the specific implications for clinical practice or medical education Specifically, what would you recommend to members of the interprofessional care team that includes patients and families for children with medical complexity based on your findings or if someone wanted to follow the lead in what you've started? I mean, I'll just say that I think there's tremendous implication here for involving family leaders in curriculum development and in the actual like delivery of the material, I think what we're learning is the more we can involve family members throughout every process from the ground up through education, continuing education, actual clinical practice, actually letting us into the messy parts of how these services are delivered. And even some of the policy work I just think there's not a single place where incorporating families isn't actually going to be really helpful. And yes, it will be a little messy. Yes, it will take more time. Yes, it will take more money. I think it's really important to be honest about that, that it takes resources to involve families, but you will end up with much higher quality and just much more efficient care delivery. I always think Kate has a wonderful sense of the bigger picture and then my perspective is what can I do in my postage stamp in Toronto and how can we take what we've learned from C6? And it's been over two years since we started C6 and spent much of the last year reflecting on it leading up to the publication. I, I think things that we've done is, is that, you know, family involvement and family partnership were deliberately, and I use the word deliberately kind of carefully in terms of transformational learning experiences for that being much more deliberate in how you involve families, the preparation that is needed on the part of families, patients, and clinicians to try and make sure that the learning experience is what you want it to be. I think we have to be thoughtful about how we make sure that we have representation of the families we care for in how we educate ourselves and our clinicians. I think Kate's point that the benefits from it can be much greater, but it does require being very deliberate about it. I think that the biggest champions for clinician education and success are oftentimes patients and families. And I think that that's probably been a key takeaway for me from this project. Your willingness to really listen and engage with families and to hear us. And I think it's some of that humility. And you mentioned a couple of times the hierarchy flattening, that acknowledging that power structure is so powerful and so important. And I think, Catherine, that you do such a good job of asking like, okay, well, what do we need here? Or let me be transparent about what we don't have. How are we going to fix this? And I think that that level of transparency and humility and just the vulnerability that we're willing to share with each other, that sort of takes me back to the, that so many families aren't expecting clinicians to get it right. And we have so much respect for how complicated the system is that y'all are working in because we're having to deal with it every day as well in a different way, right? From a different perspective. So yeah, I really appreciate hearing that 
you think that families are kind of key to solving some of these bigger issues. I think that there's a lot of people ready to collaborate in that way that might surprise you. That's such a great point, Kate. In the article, you describe how communication takes time and willingness to be vulnerable, and you really call it the secret sauce for a successful family partnership. I really loved that, and it's so true. Trust in relationship building seems foundational, not only for patient and family-centered clinical care, but also in family partnership and education. And we heard that a lot throughout the series. And I feel like in every seminar that came up, the piece of really being in partnership, really having shared decision-making, really slowing down and listening to each other. I think you really demonstrated a nice model of including and partnering with patients and families, not only in the design, the preparation, the implementation, but also the dissemination. So you both were first co-authors, you both worked on the paper. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the dissemination piece and partnering with families in that as well. Can I just first say that Catherine deserves most of the credit? And I want to be honest about that because I think sometimes working with family leaders I don't want to say it's a heavy lift, but here's what I want to be honest about. We need clinicians to take the initiative, and then we can be right there. And like I said, we want to be involved at the ground level. But sometimes it really takes being invited. It takes being funded. It takes the initiative from the clinician. And that's really where Catherine, from the get-go, was incredibly proactive in engaging, planning, and everything. So I feel like this article it was no different. She really led the way and did a terrific job. I don't really know how to follow that. I will point out, Emily, the senior authors are also family leader and clinician as co-senior authors. I, I think pediatrics having this part of the journal is actually unusual. I, I think that articles like ours can have a home um, to, to disseminate experience and knowledge and learnings from an experience is really important. And I think pediatrics giving us that home and giving us that opportunity where you seem to have a natural fit between what you're trying to say and where it lives is really important. In pediatrics as a profession, as a specialty, family engagement and family partnership is something that we aspire to do in our day-to-day clinical lives. But where does that live in our professional and academic lives? And Maybe that is a conversation for a different day. But in terms of the manuscript coming together, I I think the overwhelming feeling was the end of June 2022 when we did it was, wow, we've done it. We were so delighted with ourselves and relieved that we'd done it. It was kind of like finishing uh, something big. And AL and I over our cups of coffee in Toronto or wherever were like, actually, what did you think of this? And what did you learn? And one of those was a novice or an early career researcher Finishing out what you do and transforming it into academic work is one of the ways work is valued. So actually, like with AL's encouragement, we did it. And so I think that there's probably lessons. And in terms of writing it up with Kate, I think not aiming for perfection, but actually like collaborating and getting something on the paper was the biggest hurdle because then it just knitted together um, quite well. The other piece was that the conversations about authorship had to take place before almost a word went on the paper. So I think that authorship conversations and who's responsible for what and who's 
doing what are, are oftentimes hidden and maybe not transparent. And they weren't awkward. You have to have conversations about authorship. You're writing a paper. Yes, that's so helpful. What do you both think are the important next steps from your work or lessons that other researchers should uh, take on this field? My answer is kind of twofold. I think going back to the initial aim of this research, of this seminar series, was to start a conversation in research. I think many of us clinicians, and Kate will speak to families, feel like there's a need for more research that's relevant in the clinic room. And I think that we can, like, for example, work on what is irritability? When Emily, you and I speak about irritability, are we talking about the same thing? And then when we start designing studies for exploring irritability, what actually matters to families? What will make a difference? So I feel like I'm hoping that we'll see clinically applied research within the field in the in the coming years. I think that would be incredibly exciting uh, for us. In terms of my other hat as a clinician, teacher, educator, I'm hoping that I will learn to continue to be deliberate and kind of look at having opportunities to involve families in meaningful ways. Catherine mentioned we are so grateful for the funding from the Lucille Packard Foundation for Children's Health for this work. I would love to see other foundations step up and really show that they value family partnership in this way as well. Because as we mentioned, it does take a resource to partner with families in this way. One of the things I really get concerned about too is I feel like we're subject, we're all subject to these metrics that insurance companies have come up with or that are suitable for government. And there's all this uh, wanting to understand readmission for these kids and this kind of thing. And I think we now see in research that readmission is just contingent upon how sick that child is. We're not going to get over the readmission problem with CMC. If the child is really sick, we're getting readmitted. That's what's happening. Can we move on to something a little more applicable to what we're actually trying to do in terms of advancing care for CMC? And I I do think often we're really pushed in these directions that maybe we don't even realize that are agendas set by the payers, essentially, that there's real uh, implication here from this series for where to move and where to look in terms of addressing research gaps and how to do it uh, collaboratively uh, between families and clinicians. And I think we really have a charge to move forward with some of that, but we're going to need more than Lucille Packard Foundation for Children's Health to support it. Is there anything that you wish I asked you about that I haven't asked you about yet today? I think, what would I say if I was starting out? What advice would I have to someone who came into my office today who's thinking of working with a family and what would I tell them? I think I'd say go for it and, and you will learn. But what I didn't share was, was that in the research that I did, it took us about a year of figuring out how to have families involved, how to navigate it. We were wary of it. We were worried about it. Um, how would we do it? And I think that go for it. It's needed and you will learn. It's probably the advice that I would have liked, you know, a few years ago. I'm so glad that you said that, Catherine, because I think it's just like, let it be messy, be as transparent as you can and bring families in. And we just have to trust each other. And I think being invited in that way is really helpful. 
for families because we are in the grind 24 hours a day, seven days a week with our kids. So we're so happy to be asked for like a perspective out of it or how do we, you know, can you help us solve this? I mean, we are really in this together because I have a kid who's medically complex and that's my perspective. I feel like this is such a unique population where it's just so sort of fertile opportunity for that kind of collaboration between parents because of how close we are to the clinical piece day in and day out. And I think, yeah, I love just go for it and let it be messy and trust that parents are going to be helpful and that you'll figure it out as you go. Thank you so much for your time, Catherine and Kate, and thank you to you and your team for advancing the field of complex care. Thanks for listening to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. We aim to highlight research that has the potential to be practice changing, that values patient and family engagement, and is relevant across disciplines and diagnoses and uses high quality or novel research methods. We invite you to join the conversation by suggesting an article that you would like to see discussed in this podcast using the form provided on the Open Pediatrics YouTube channel. Thank you again for joining us.